Genesis chapter 18 this morning. Genesis chapter 18 as we continue this series of questions in the Bible. I think one of life's embarrassing moments is when you're in a crowd and you laugh at something and nobody else laughs. And and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh. And about the only thing you can do at that point is maybe to try to turn your laugh into a cough and try to cover it up. You ever been there? You know, those, those moments are the ones where you wish that you could just disappear and be invisible. But how embarrassing do you think it would be if your thoughts were uncontrollably linked to your vocal cords so that whatever you were thinking was broadcast for everyone to hear? So instead of uh, saying, oh, I'm so pleased to meet you, you would blurt out, oh, man, I'm going to miss the kickoff for the football game. Or you walk out the door and instead of saying, I really liked your sermon today, preacher, it comes out, I thought it would never end. You know, you you just hear you saying the embarrassment of it all. I think you can identify then with poor Sarah in our text today. She laughed. When God didn't laugh. Now she managed to conceal her laughter, but that doesn't work with God who knows the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And when the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? She denied it and said, I didn't laugh. But the Lord knew differently and he said, no, but you did laugh. And it wasn't a laughing matter to the Lord. The problem was that Sarah's laughter reflected her unbelief in the promises of God. Unbelief, doubt, is a more serious sin than most of us realize because to doubt God's promise is tantamount to calling God a liar. It's promoting ourselves over God and demoting God from his place of sovereign power. God doesn't take kindly to unbelief. And I know that all of us struggle with it at different levels, with the problem of unbelief. And perhaps, like Abraham and Sarah, you've prayed for something for years and years, but God hasn't answered that prayer, and life is passing you by while you wait, and you struggle with doubt as you often wonder whether he's hearing your prayers. Maybe you suffered some tragedy. Maybe the loss of a close loved one. You wonder, where was God when that happened? Or maybe it's a family problem that's dragged on for years and you wonder, why doesn't God do something about this? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? Well, the Lord's word to Sarah speaks to all who struggle with unbelief and doubt. And I, that's probably all of us. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's the question. No, it's not. But the absurdity of the question gives it its punch. How could anything be difficult for the God that spoke the universe into existence? And if nothing is too difficult for God, then how can I persist in doubt and unbelief? Those two don't go together. You know, it's like God just goes for the jugular. He he makes us confront our doubt. And this story of Abraham and Sarah waiting all these years for the promised son... It's going to teach us an important lesson today. So in Genesis 18, notice the first two verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. 
Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now go down to verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Now here's the lesson that we learn. God brings us to the end of our strength and abilities so that we will trust in his ability to do the impossible. Right? He brings us to the end of our strength and abilities, so we'll trust in his ability to do the impossible. By nature, we, we just all trust in ourselves most of the time. And we only trust in God when we don't have any other recourse. So often it's like we use him as a last resort if we can't handle something ourselves. But if we trust in ourselves, then we glory in ourselves. God's purpose is that we glory in him alone. And so through various means, God graciously brings us to the place where we have no hope except in him. So that we trust in him and he gets the glory. And the first step in this process is that God brings us to the end of our strength. Here, after the meal, the guests ask Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? Interesting question, since they know the name of Abraham's wife without any mention of it at all by Abraham. These three strangers, these three guests show up, and they already know the name of Abraham's wife. Later, the Lord knows what Sarah is thinking. But yet, he asks here, where is she? Now, why does he ask that? Now remember, when the Lord asks a question, it's not for his benefit. He's not seeking information. It's for our benefit. I think the Lord asked so that Sarah, hearing her name spoken, would eavesdrop on the conversation to follow. Abraham had already heard the promise concerning Isaac in the preceding chapter, chapter 17, verses 15 through 19. I would imagine he had already told Sarah, but she's struggling with doubt. So now the Lord comes so that Sarah can hear it straight from his mouth and believe. Notice that the Lord begins by promising that which was humanly impossible. I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And we're informed Sarah's listening at the tent door, which was behind him. So the Lord couldn't see her from where he's standing, we're also reminded that Abraham and Sarah are old, that Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so it was humanly impossible for her to bear a son. In her natural strength, she was barren. But 
This is where God wants us in our relationship with him, to recognize our weakness so that we will trust his strength. A lot of people think the reason why they struggle in their Christian lives is because they're too weak. That's not necessarily so. The reason we struggle in our Christian walk is that too often we don't recognize our own weakness for what it is, and so we trust in ourselves rather than the Lord. And when we trust in ourselves, we're going to fall. But when we see our weaknesses and our inabilities and we cast ourselves upon the Lord's strength, that's when we're strong. What did Paul say in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sure. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those that are helpless. I mean, when they helped themselves, Abraham and Sarah came up with Hagar and Ishmael. How'd that work out for them? But when they were helpless, God gave them Isaac. And this also applies to salvation, folks. One of the main things that keeps people from God's salvation is the notion that they can do something to contribute to the process. They think that if they clean up their lives a little bit or if they go to church or give money or whatever, then they can qualify for salvation. But the scripture is clear. Christ didn't die for decent folk that have worked hard to put their lives in order. According to Romans 5 verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. You can't receive the salvation he offers until you see yourself as a sinner. You quit trying to save yourself. You cast yourself upon his free and sovereign grace. You cry out to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Salvation is not a matter of human ability combined with God's ability. It is totally of the Lord. But our problem is that even after we've trusted in Christ for salvation, we mistakenly think that we're competent to live the Christian life on our own and with our own strength, with just a little help from the Lord, whenever we might need Him. And so the Lord... He has to bring us again and again to the point of helplessness where we acknowledge our own insufficiency and we depend upon his all-sufficiency. God wants each of us to see that our situation is humanly impossible without him. And that way we'll look to him for his power. We'll praise him when he delivers us. We'll be, he'll be glorified through our lives. But sometimes, instead of trusting him with our impossible situations, like Sarah, we doubt him. What's the source of our doubt? What is the source of our unbelief? Well, unbelief and doubt stems from a human perspective that leaves God out of the picture. You see, there's a difference between Abraham's laughter in chapter 17 and Sarah's laughter here in chapter 18 as seen in the fact that the Lord didn't rebuke Abraham for laughing, but he did rebuke Sarah. Abraham's laughter may have stemmed from his being startled or astonished at what the Lord said he was going to do. I mean, he had it fixed in his mind that Ishmael would be the son of the promise. But when God said, no, Sarah's going to bear you a son, he will be the child of the promise, and, and, and Apparently, Abraham laughed at that, maybe a laugh of joy. 
Oh, wow, wow, you know. But Sarah, her laughter was different. It stemmed from doubt and unbelief. It stemmed from looking at things from a human perspective. You can't really blame her in one respect because she's 90 years old. She's past the age where she can bear children. And remember, she was barren even when she was younger. And her comment in verse 12 represents what she thought to herself, not what she said out loud. I mean, the gist of it is, I'm too old even to enjoy sex with my husband, let alone get pregnant and bear a child. And so adding up all the human factors, she concluded she couldn't in any way bear a son at age 90. But she left out one crucial factor in her calculations. God. God. The power of the omnipotent God to do that which is humanly impossible. We are so quick to calculate from our human perspective how God is going to be able to do his work. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, he asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? Now, there may have been fifteen to 20,000 people there if you add in the women and the children. So here are about 20,000 hungry people in a remote place. The disciples had already told the Lord their, their solution. Tell the people to leave and go away so they can buy bread. But the Lord tested Philip by asking, where are we going to buy bread? It was a humanly impossible situation. And Philip should have said, well, Lord, apart from your power, there's no way we can come up with enough bread to feed this crowd. But what did Philip do? He got out his calculator and determined that 200 denarii, 200 days' wages, would not be enough to feed that size of a crowd. Well, so what? The disciples couldn't have scraped together 200 denarii if their lives depended on it. But that's how we think when we look at things from a human perspective. We calculate things out, but we leave God out of the calculation. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now or what you might be facing. You may be facing an overwhelming problem. Whatever that problem might be, it might be a family issue, it may be a, a salvation issue with someone in your family, it, it may be health issues or whatever it might be, and, and you're thinking, there is no way this is going to work out good. I'm at the end of my rope, there's nothing I can do, there is no human possibility. And you're right, but keep going. That's when God can do that which is humanly impossible. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No. And so with God, all things are possible. You factor God into any situation, and it suddenly changes the equation. But I think we tend to just shrug off our unbelief and doubt as if it's no big deal. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You remember over in Mark chapter 6 verse 5 where it says that Jesus could do no miracle in his hometown of Nazareth? Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. And he wondered at their unbelief. So even though God is sovereign in his almighty power, he's chosen to limit his working through our faith. And so he views unbelief and doubt 
as a serious sin, and he confronts it in his people just as he confronted it here with Sarah. So the Lord confronts our doubt and our unbelief, so we will see things from his perspective. The Lord's confrontation got Sarah to face her sin and to look at things from his perspective. Isn't it interesting that God first confronted Abraham about Sarah's sin and laughter? The Lord viewed Abraham, I think, as spiritually responsible for his family. So we ask Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And again, how ironic that the Lord, who in his omniscience knew that Sarah behind him inside the tent laughed, he asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I think he wanted Abraham and Sarah to think about the question. Because the answer is that Sarah laughed because she didn't believe the Lord. Now, as I said, unbelief and doubt is sin because, in effect, it calls God a liar and calls me the truthful one. It says, I know better than the omnipotent, all-powerful God what he can do or not do. In essence, that's what doubt and unbelief says. It implies either that God doesn't know what he's talking about or that he's not able to do it. And so the Lord asks this question here. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is there anything you can think of that would make the Lord say, man, I'm not sure I can pull that off? Anything? And is there anything in your life that you think is too big for God to handle? I mean, he raised Jesus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb three days. You got any problems bigger than raising a dead man up? Unbelief is serious because invariably it leads to other sins. Sarah denied that she did what God said she did. I didn't laugh. The text says that she was afraid. But how foolish to think we can hide our sin from the Lord that knows every thought in our heads and hearts. The Lord, he didn't let Sarah off the hook. He confronted her with the truth. No, but you did laugh. He got her to face her sin of unbelief and to think about things from his perspective with that rhetorical question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the most loving thing God can do sometimes is to make us face our doubt, to make us face our sin of unbelief. No, you did doubt me. Admit the truth. I know your heart. And then he lovingly gets us to consider things from his almighty perspective. Because I could, I could never be in any situation which would be too difficult for the Lord to work. Think about it. Is there any problem you're facing that's too hard for God? Is there a family problem that just got so bad that, that the Lord would have to say, wow, that one's, that one's too tough for me to handle? Any of your circumstances outside of his control? Do do you suppose that God is in heaven wringing his hands and and saying, Oh man, I didn't expect that to happen. I, I don't have a clue what to do. No. Can you dare to think there's some sin that you've committed? Some awful habit that you're enslaved to that God isn't able to forgive and deliver you from? Is anything in your life too difficult for the Lord. Well, the Lord's rebuke brought Sarah to faith. Hebrews 11, 11 states, 
By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Boy, it sure didn't look like she was acting in faith in our text, but I think God's question and his confrontation, no, but you did laugh, got her attention, and then she trusted in the Lord's word. In fact, she received more than faith. Her reward was faith and laughter and the Lord's commendation. You see, when we trust God to do the humanly impossible, he rewards us. And so because she faced her sin of doubt and unbelief and thought about things from God's perspective, Sarah received the faith to conceive Isaac. Faith, faith comes to us the moment we turn from our unbelief and see God for who he really is. He's the God for whom nothing is too difficult. And then Sarah also received laughter. Her laughter of doubt in verse 12 was replaced with the laughter of joy when Isaac was born over in chapter 21, verse 6. Isaac's name means what? Laughter, sure. And since that was the name God gave the boy, it means God wanted to give Abraham and Sarah the right laughter of his blessing in place of the wrong laughter of doubt. So God has a way of turning our sin when we repent into that which brings praise to him and joy to us. And Sarah also received commendation from God. In 1 Peter 3, verse 6, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to use Sarah as an example of a holy woman that submitted to her husband by calling him Lord. Well, the only place in the Bible that's recorded that Sarah called Abraham Lord is right here in our text in verse 12, right as she was laughing at God's promise. So the Lord in his grace looked beyond Sarah's doubt and picked out her submission to her husband and held it up as an example. And in the same way, the Lord is gracious and ready to forgive us and meet our every need when we turn from our unbelief and trust in his mighty power. And he may not give us an instant answer. You read through Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith, a lot of those people died without ever having receiving the fulfillment of the promises of God on this side of heaven. But they believed in those promises, even though they didn't see them in their lifetime, especially the promise of the Messiah. But that doesn't undermine the faithfulness of, or the power of our great God, the God in whom all things are possible. We may not understand his ways. We may not understand the reasons for his delays. But we dare not doubt his goodness toward his chosen ones. And we dare not trust his power to fulfill his purpose in his time and in his way. You know, Jeremiah the prophet was a godly man. He faithfully spoke God's word to a disobedient people who rejected both him and his message. For years, Jeremiah warned the Jewish people of the coming judgment if they didn't repent. But they didn't want to hear it. They mocked him. They threw him in a muddy pit, a, a cistern, where he sank in the mud. They, and they listened to the false prophets that told them what they wanted to hear, that God wouldn't judge them for their sin. But finally, just as Jeremiah had warned, the powerful Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar came with his troops and besieged Jerusalem. And Jeremiah was thrown into prison by a wicked Jewish king, Zedekiah, because he was predicting a Babylonian victory. 
Well, in that bleak situation, while Jeremiah is thrown in prison by Zedekiah, a strange word came to him from God. The Lord told him to buy a field from his cousin because he was the closest relative with a right of redemption. Well, it didn't make any sense because it's obvious that the country's about to fall to a foreign king. He's going to confiscate and take over all the property. So if you go buy real estate at that time, you're just throwing away your money. But God told Jeremiah to buy it as a testimony of his faithfulness to his promise to restore his people to the land. And so Jeremiah obeyed God and handed over the precious little money he had, and he purchased that field. And in that context, Jeremiah prayed this prayer. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm, and nothing is too difficult for you. That was Jeremiah's faith. And the Lord confirmed Jeremiah's prayer by answering, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Did God bring the Jews back to the land? After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, yes, he did. And God fulfilled his promise. So if God has you in a humanly impossible situation... It's to bring you to the end of your own strength so that you will trust in his ability to do the humanly impossible. And you may not even see the answer in your lifetime. But you can trust in him and give glory to him knowing that his word of promise will stand and that he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten his promises to you. Genesis 18.10, folks. The Lord says to Abraham and Sarah, I will surely, I will surely return to you. God's word to us is always surely, even when circumstances say, no way. Yes, there is a way, because is anything too difficult for the Lord? Not at all. Let's remember that, and may he bless us as we wait on him to act. That's the message. I don't know what kind of decision you might want to make today. But we all go through times of doubt, don't we? Times of insecurity. We go through times of uncertainty. And I think the older we get and the more we start to encounter health issues and our bodies begin to break down, we, there's just things we're uncertain about. Don't let it become a sin. Don't let your doubt lead you into unbelief. Is anything too difficult for God? No. So trust in Him. Whatever issues you may be facing in your life, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your, on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Let's stand and sing.